What's going on guys? It's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan, coming back at you once again with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Alright, thanks for tuning in guys. If you missed last week's show, which was all about why I believe WrestleMania 31 is the greatest of all time, then you could still check that out on demand. Head over to Blog Talk Radio, LordsPaint.net, or wherever you may be listening to or have downloaded this podcast from, and you will be able to access last week's show on demand and listen to it at your leisure, as indeed you can listen to all the episodes, past episodes of Sports Entertainment is Dead at your leisure on demand, as well as all the great episodes of the other shows we have here on Lords of Pain Radio every single week. We have Kingdom of Honor on Mondays with Zanman. We have One Nation Radio and the Global Revolution guys on Tuesday. We have myself on Wednesdays. The Implications with the Perfect Ten podcast on Thursdays. We also have The Right Side of the Pond on Fridays, sometimes starring me. And we have now All About All Elite Wrestling on Saturdays and the return of The Doc Says on Sundays. Plus, you can be sure to check out Aftershock and Retroshock and any other similar good specials that we may throw out every now and then. Just keep your eyes peeled on lordsofpain.net for any announcements on that front. But make sure you catch all this great quality content because, well, you'd be missing out on some great wrestling coverage if you didn't. Okay. This week, I'm going to be honest with you guys, it's a bit of a hectic week for me this week, so we'll see how we go here. It may not be a full-length show, it may be slightly shorter than normal, uh, but we'll we'll see how we go. Knowing me, I, you know, I'm always fighting to try and trim this thing down to an hour, so I'll probably be fine, but just to forewarn you, it may be a little shorter than normal, just because it's it's a busy old time for yours truly. Nonetheless, it is, of course, Fastlane this coming Sunday, which means it is time for another alternative pre-show here on Sports Entertainment is Dead. But before we get to that, I wanted to take a few minutes here to discuss a film, actually, that came out here in the UK this last week. I think it came out in the States uh, a little while uh, ago. I'm talking, of course, about Fighting With Your Family, which is this film that has been released by WWE Studios. I think MGM uh, and, and certainly a couple of other studios, Film 4 Studios, that chronicles... Uh, inspired by a documentary that aired here in the UK back in 2012, chronicles the journey that Paige took from her small hometown of Norwich here in, in the UK through NXT and to Monday Night Raw the night after WrestleMania 30. I went to check this film out last night and I thought it was worth, you know, I thought about writing a, a review in a column format and, I, and then I figured, well, you know, it's only a, a, an alternative pre-show this week on SEID. So, and, and frankly, the film raised in me some uh, some thoughts that I felt were pertinent to sports entertainment is dead because it's a curious thing watching this movie as a wrestling fan. The first thing that I would say is if you are a, a pro wrestling fan and it is uh, available to go and see in your country, wherever you may be listening to, I don't know if it's still uh, on in theaters in the U.S. Or, or Canada or you know on the other side of the pond or you know in in any of the the climes that this show is listened to. But if if you are able to go and see it, I would I would recommend going to see it. It's a strange experience seeing this film as a wrestling fan, and you'll probably find, as I did, that you fight the urge most of the way through to kind of stand up in the in the middle of the cinema screen and sort of scream out, you know. That's not how it works, or that's not how it happened. So if you do go and see it, the first thing that I would say is to try and keep in mind a couple of things. The first is, you know, try to know what you don't know. Because 
you know, I'm sat there and I'm watching it and I'm kind of saying, well, that's, you know, that's contrived and that's ridiculous. I'm pretty sure that's not what would happen once you get to NXT or whatnot. Uh, and uh, the truth is that actually I have no idea. You know, I'm just a wrestling fan. All I know is what I see on the television, right? And what you sort of hear Paige talk about in interviews and other people talk about in interviews. There's a there's a trainer who I believe is a, a fictional character, though I'm sure is probably inspired by some of the trainers who have actually uh, kind of mentored talents through NXT, I'm not sure, called Hutch, played by Vince Vaughn. Played quite well by Vince Vaughn, to be fair. And the... The Knight family is portrayed brilliantly by Lena Headey, who uh, plays uh, Cersei Lannister famously in Game of Thrones. She's brilliant as the mother, and you have Nick Frost in his best performance this side of Hot Fuzz as the father. Uh, I forget the lad who plays uh, Paige's older brother, uh, but he's tremendous as well. And indeed, his his character arc in the film is is in often in danger of being more interesting than Paige's own, that, that kind of deals instead in... A true story, as we know, but but still uh, something that's a little bit of a cliche story for a Hollywood movie. The 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 urge to, as I say, kind of uh, strut around saying you know better because you're a wrestling fan uh, is difficult to get past as you watch the film, though. And in that way, it's curiously a case of art imitating life because considering that you know the life of a wrestling fan these days, because people still adhere to sports entertainment thinking, even though I think it's dead is this constant fight between trying to enjoy what you're seeing and trying to uh, wrestle with this idea that you have some kind of forbidden knowledge that you're not supposed to have. Fighting With My Family is a film that seems to be very consciously designed to appeal to non-wrestling fans. You know, because it's a film that's looking to get as broad an audience as it possibly can do. So there are elements to it that feel like it dumbs down wrestling or, or I guess, WWE culture specifically to try and garner that, you know, garner that wider audience and, 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 uh, 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 I don't know what the word I'm looking for is here, but, but to, to, to basically make sure that this is an accessible story to people who don't know anything about the world of professional wrestling. Um, and so what you end up doing is 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 kind of saying, okay, forget what I know as a wrestling fan and just try and enjoy the story, which is obviously uh, kind of a, a sensation that carries through to, to your experiences as a wrestling fan watching wrestling. So it's very meta. It's a very meta experience watching the film and very interesting uh, for that. In terms of the film itself, what you see is, is Paige's start as... Uh, a young girl at the age of, I think, around 13 or so, uh, get coaxed into standing in for a father at a at a, a, a wrestling event, uh, and then it sort of fast forwards uh, to when she's a you know a young woman, and she's performing at events with her family, and they get a call from from uh, WWE from a trainer called Hutch, who I referred to earlier, played by Vince Vaughn, who feels fabricated but probably inspired by real world figures. Uh, and the story goes from there, and it's about how they go to the tryout in the O2 Arena, and then obviously Paige gets these aren't spoilers because any wrestling fan listening to this podcast knows Paige's story. I'm sure Paige gets picked up in the tryouts and goes over to NXT, and she, you know, has the the story basically traces her fight with her own identity uh, and her fight with how the industry changes her as a young woman and, and sees her propel to an incredible height of, of this unlikely underdog story. They recreate elements of the debut segment 
she has on role with AJ Lee, played here interestingly enough by Zelina Vega, and I have to do, I have to say, sorry, that Zelina Vega does a pretty damn good AJ Lee impression. She has AJ's cadence down to a T. Um, the film itself, like I say, if you could get past that sense of hidden uh, wrestling knowledge, kind of of trying to supersede your experience of the film, and and remember that this is a Hollywood movie, so it's going to indulge and, and fabricate certain elements to um, to make sure that it tells an interesting story to people who aren't necessarily familiar with the source material. There is one strangely uncomfortable scene in which wrestling fans are kind of portrayed in a way that you imagine Vince McMahon imagines wrestling fans actually are. I don't know how much, if any, involvement Vince had with this. Um, but, but certainly, it throughout the whole film, you feel like you're watching... A version of WWE be presented to the world that represents. It feels like the version of WWE you see in the film is the version of WWE Vince McMahon and, and the higher ups believe WWE actually is. Whereas as a wrestling fan, you kind of sit there and, and you you know again you're you're wrestling with that knowledge and you're sort of saying, well, you know, if only it was this much of a meritocracy, then maybe it wouldn't be in the state that it's in. One thing that I would say is that for me personally, I found that it wasn't the wrestling film that I wanted to see. I've long, going back years, felt that WWE Studios are better focusing on telling stories about the wrestling industry, producing films that tell the stories of the past of the wrestling industry, rather than trying to create, you know, shoddy bottom shelf blockbusters that you then find in the, you know, two pound bin at the local supermarket six months later forget the marine and all that stuff and 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 create low budget indie films about the history of the business because there's genuinely i mean you know a, a film pull uh, a fictionalized account of that would be incredibly emotional and that's just one example off the top of my head you know the creation of wrestlemania all this sort of stuff wwe and wrestling in general has such a rich history and wwe has so many of the rights to wcw and so forth you know film about the monday night wars whatever uh, that's what I feel they should be doing. So, fighting with my family feels exactly like the kind of film I want to see produced by WWE Studios or by people involved with WWE. But what I would say is that it's not quite the wrestling film that I wanted, because in typical fashion for WWE, uh, it feels like it's... Uh, the story is is kind of deliberately sanitized a little bit. I don't know how much it is. Again, you know, I appreciate that this is Paige's story. She's been heavily involved with the production of the film, so obviously you've got to bear that in mind and, and not criticize the final product for being untruthful in that regard because ultimately, like I say, Paige has been involved in this thing. Um, but it does feel like as much as you see elements of Paige's story about how the industry changed her, it basically skips over pretty much the entirety of a time in in NXT, and it feels like they picked the wrong culmination at the end. I would have much rather seen the film culminate with her first NXT Women's Championship uh, victory. Now she was the first Women's Champion in NXT and how that helped usher in the Women's Revolution, rather than sort of glossing over that for dramatic effect and then fast-forwarding to the night after WrestleMania 30 just to shoehorn a cameo from The Rock in. Um... That being said, at the same time that it, I mean it does it does do justice to to how Paige developed as a person, uh, you you sense uh, through her time in NXT. 
Um, uh, particularly if you've seen, if you're a UK fan and you saw the documentary that this film was inspired by, then there's going to be a lot of kind of bells ringing here. Um, and there is, admittedly, at the end of the film, they do the thing that a lot of films based on true stories do, where you get the black screen and the text coming up, giving you facts about the situation. It, it, it acknowledges that Page was instrumental in the women's revolution and became the youngest Davis champion ever and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it does feel like the film kind of doesn't really do justice to how much Page changed the industry in terms of being a forerunner of that revolution as much as it does how the industry changed Page. And I felt like, as a result, it left a lot of storytelling on the table uh, and a lot of... of uh, emotional resonance and artistic relevance, you know, with the Me Too movement, all that sort of stuff on the table as well. It felt like they missed a trick. So on the one hand, it wasn't quite the wrestling film that I wanted it to be. On the other hand, it's a film that's very heavily inspired by uh, what feels like a heritage of small-budget British comedy dramas. If you've seen films like Brassed Off or Full Monty, that it's got that kind of a tone to it, that kind of working-class, uh, unlikely hero unlikely underdog story vibe running through it and that's very appealing because you know if you're listening to this in another nation you may not be familiar with the films but here in the UK there was a, a you know I think the Full Monty actually got nominated for the Academy Awards I'm not sure but uh, Full Monty is a, is a beloved cult favourite brassed off a beloved cult favourite about mining towns I think that get shut down um it's not quite to that level, though. So it's it's not the wrestling film I quite wanted. It's not the British comedy drama I quite wanted. And it's not the sports movie that I would have liked either. Because it doesn't... You'll think about a film like Rush very recently, which was based on the real-life rivalry between James Hunt and Nicky Lauder in Formula One. And what Rush did brilliantly was fictionalise the story while at the same time kind of presenting, at periods, almost documentary-like reconstructions of stuff that actually happened. And that's something, again that fighting with my family kind of glosses over because it presents a version of WWE that pretends it, you know, that it isn't scripted. The culmination uh, of the film, it doesn't in any way acknowledge the fact that the segment that saw Page debut was every line of it was scripted and that they were just acting out a script that was handed to them. It acts as if the promos were created, you know, on the spot. And while you could kind of say, okay, well, I understand that because it's a Hollywood film and you want to make sure that it's dramatic in that sense, you do get an impression as a WWE fan, again, that knowledge that you're not supposed to have, uh, that actually it's kind of them pretending to be something, trying to almost reinstitute kayfabe in a weird way, and or, or at least creating a new version of it if not just deliberately misleading people. And that felt ingratiating as a result. I think there would have been a, a, as equally a great a film in them being completely open and honest about the fact that it's scripted, about the fact that they have lines to learn and all that sort of stuff, and that this was still a big, big moment for Paige. So in that sense as well, you know, it's not quite the sports movie. And, and because it is rooted in fact, it's not allowed to have the kind of uplifting, fictionalised... Uh, you know, heroic outcome that, say, the Rocky films have. So it kind of gets hampered by trying to be so many different things. But it is ultimately an enjoyable, I think it's about 108 minutes long. It, you know, there's plenty of laughs to be had in it. It's got that typical rye British humour to it. And I think that it's probably worth a watch. If you're a wrestling fan, certainly if you're a fan of Paige, uh, you know, this, the story is at times very touching, very moving, uh, at times very funny, at times quite exciting. Uh, and generally speaking, it's a pretty solid film. Uh, I don't think it's it's going to live all that long in your memory, if I'm being brutally honest. Uh, but it's nice to have seen it succeeded. I think it warrants succeeding. I think it deserves to succeed. Uh, and I dare say that it's done in a way that should hopefully find an audience. I mean, it's quite telling that the screening that I was in 
was the largest non-IMAX screen in the cinema. It's like a 20-screen multiplex. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I'm, I, it's, it's huge. It could, it, could, it could, you know, house hundreds and hundreds of people, 200, 300 people, perhaps, this screen. And, uh, but I, there, there were maybe a dozen of us in there, which is sad to see, you know, and kind of deflating to see that maybe it hasn't quite found the audience that you would hope that it would find. But I guess, you know, that's just here in the UK. Hopefully it's done well overseas. I know it, it hit number one at the UK box office this week, so it's been doing relatively well, and I, and I hope it continues to do so. If you do get a chance to go and see it, I would still go and see it. You may find it to be at times frustrating to see as a wrestling fan. Uh, and it may feel almost disappointing if you're a fan of films like myself as well. And and doesn't quite measure up to the standard of films that you might seek to compare it to. But having said all of that, it's by no means a failure. It's still a lot of fun to sit and watch. I would recommend it to wrestling fans in particular. And take your family to see it as well and let them get a, a, at least a sense of what the world of wrestling is like because you do get that sense and you know if even if you're not a wrestling fan the character arc pages character arc uh will will prove to be i think very compelling zach's character arc zach is being her older brother is is or at least her, her brother i'm not sure if he's older or younger quite honestly but her brother's arc uh you know equally interesting and and impactful as well and charismatic performances across the board and just yeah generally very 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 entertaining um if not necessarily very 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 good um i would say it's good i would say it's a good solid 90 minutes of entertainment that's not going to leave you regretting the fact that you decided to sit down and see it but i at the same time i don't think it's going to knock your socks off i don't think it's going to blow you away uh, because it is difficult like i say to get past that knowledge you have as a wrestling fan and that that overwhelming urge to kind of go i don't think that's how it works uh so yeah, so I guess you know I just wanted to share those thoughts. It's not really a movie review; far too clumsy and heavy-handed for that. And I'm you know ultimately not a film critic, but I wanted to share my thoughts because you know it's a it's a big deal. This is this is probably the most mainstream wrestling film based on on wrestling fact. That is because of course you had the wrestler from about ten years ago, but the the most mainstream wrestling movie based in fact that there's ever been. It's a big deal, you know, and it's it's been surprising to me not seeing many kind of dirt sheets and, and, and internet sites seemingly dealing with it. So I wanted to, to share my two cents on it and, and let you guys know my thoughts. But ultimately, I, I mean, I've already waffled on for 20 minutes, so like I say, this, this show may not go short after all. But ultimately, that's not the biggest news story of the week. Of course, the biggest news story of the week is that this Sunday it is Fastlane. And that means, I can't believe we've got another pay-per-view already. That means, of course... It is time for another alternative pre-show. Now, if you've never listened to one of these shows before, just a very quick kind of uh, word to inform you what's going to go on here. Basically, I enjoy watching the pre-shows. I think every now and then the pre-shows that WWE put out on the network before pay-per-views throw out, you know, if nothing else, a great match here and there. I mean, two great Cruiserweight pre-show matches so far this year in particular. But the talking uh, points, the conversations that they have on the panel are so laboriously cliche and so unimaginative that I felt like they leave so much creative, interpretive creative potential, let's call it, on the table. Uh, And so I decided to start doing alternative pre-shows to try and hype myself up a little bit more and maybe offer you guys uh, an alternative view on some of the matches that are going to be going down on this given Sunday. Fastlane, the final stop, as they say, on the road to WrestleMania 35. And... 
Bear in mind as well that I record these shows because of the time difference between the UK and the US. I have to record these shows on what is Tuesday night UK time. So Smackdown Live hasn't yet gone out. And as a result, the card could still be subject to change. That really bit me on the arse when it came to Survivor Series. Hopefully it won't do so here. It looks like the majority of the card is fixed in place. And, I mean, to be honest, it's quite a a relief at this point to look at a pay-per-view card and only see six matches on it. A standard pay-per-view card with just six matches on it. I mean, I know Royal Rumble and Elimination Chamber, perhaps arguably, well, Elimination Chamber, Royal Rumble had quite a bunch on, but it's an extra long show these days. But Elimination Chamber didn't have many on, but obviously you you kind of give plenty of time there for the Elimination Chamber matches. For a standard pay-per-view like this, it's nice to see them just having booked six matches. I imagine we may get another edition uh, after SmackDown Live uh, tonight, and there may be a, a kickoff match at some point. But hopefully that's a sign that the 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 um, the the habit that they instituted, let's hope, at Elimination Chamber will continue. This will be a nice, solid three-hour pay-per-view again. Nothing too strenuous. Uh, maybe even less than that. You know, I kind of hope it's less than that because this has a nice... The card as it stands looks like it could be a really good two-and-a-half, two-hour, 45-minute show. I think it probably will be over three hours by the end. But they just can't help themselves these days. But you never know. We can uh, We can hope we can touch wood, as they say. And that's me tapping my desk. I'm not going to go through every match here on the card because, quite honestly, you know, Asuka versus Mandy Rose, there's not really much of anything to that. And, you know, the Usos versus Shane McMahon and The Miz. I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Sod Shane McMahon. Part-time is begone. And uh, also, you know, we've got here, what else have we got here? We've got the Boss and Hug connection. What an awful name that remains to be against Nia Jax and Tamina for the Women's Tag Team Championships. Again, nothing much going on there. But that does leave the three top matches of this Sunday's pay-per-view for us to go through. And where shall we start? Let's start then with the women's match before we head to an advert break at the half-hour mark here. Let's start with the women's match between Becky Lynch and Charlotte. Now, this has been an absolute whirlwind of events since Becky Lynch uh, sort of surprisingly entered the Royal Rumble and uh, came out the other end as the winner, having earned a championship match, which she very quickly then decided to say she was going to cash in, for lack of a better term, against Ronda Rousey. Obviously, since that time, we've had a bit of to and fro with the former authority, Triple H, Stephanie McMahon-Helmsley. Becky Lynch had to apologise for some of her actions, which she did, under the provision that that meant she had a clear pathway from there to Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania. Vince McMahon came out and made his presence felt by deciding to substitute Becky Lynch for Charlotte, her long-running nemesis. Things have only escalated out of control since that point. Ronda Rousey kind of took exception to this, of course, and decided not to relinquish the championship, but to basically uh, give Stephanie a not-so-veiled threat that if she didn't reinsert Becky Lynch into the equation, Ronda Rousey could very much walk. That was later supported by comments that Becky Lynch, uh, sorry, that Ronda Rousey has since made in the press that if she's not happy, she's just going to walk out of the company. And now we're in this situation where Stephanie McMahon, as a response to Ronda Rousey's walkout, decided to book a Raw Women's Championship match for this Sunday between Charlotte and Becky Lynch, only for Ronda to turn back up again and remind Stephanie that she hadn't relinquished the championship uh, and that actually that made this match on Sunday the match to determine whether Becky Lynch will be able to get back into 
the WrestleMania... Well, I was about to say WrestleMania main event. It's quite telling that, isn't it? That I was just going to kind of naturally use that term. We don't know whether it is going to close out the show, but it's looking likely that it might. Of course, this last week on Monday Night Raw as well, what we saw was Ronda Rousey show her true colours, uh, which are far closer to those of Shayna Baszler down in NXT, as she has allowed us to believe they are up until this point. I can't say I'm too surprised. I think it was a matter of time. WWE is a totally different environment to the Octagon, of course, and you have a different style of pressure cooker there. And what's been clear is that the fan reactions to Ronda Rousey have been affecting her. They have been getting under her skin. They've kind of been impacting her mindset. And obviously, coming from the world of UFC, mindset and mentality, the mental game, that should really be a strength for Ronda. So it's no wonder that she's kind of uh, ended up doing what she's done as a response to that kind of, uh, I, I feel like attack is too strong a word, but certainly the wrestling fans haven't been kind to her. And what we've seen from Ronda in the past in her history in UFC as well, of course, is that uh, she doesn't necessarily deal very well with criticism. And I guess that maybe is, the, I don't know, you could say that that's the mark of a champion. You could say that's the mark of an all-time great. I'm not sure that it is, quite frankly. But she showed her true cause this last week by putting a beat down on Becky Lynch, which... Charlotte in very savvy fashion just sort of stood back and and watched and what's interesting is that that puts Becky Lynch very much on the back foot this is a woman who won the Royal Rumble though arguably shouldn't have even been in the match was promised a clear pathway to Ronda Rousey had that taken from her was given now an opportunity to get back into the match even though she isn't 100% yet with the knee that she injured at Royal Rumble and has now suffered a beatdown from Ronda Rousey that Charlotte Flair herself hasn't had to suffer from. Of course, they had a bit of a run in at Elimination Chamber that was some weeks ago. You'd expect Charlotte to be pretty much, if not fully recovered by this point, from that attack at Elimination Chamber. Certainly close enough to being fully recovered. And Charlotte is a fierce competitor at the best of times. Becky Lynch has proven going into any match against Charlotte 100% is a coin toss as to which one of them is going to come out on top. And actually, if you think all the way back to Super Showdown in Australia, what was clear was that Becky Lynch at that point had to resort to desperate tactics to defeat Charlotte. Having said that, even though Becky Lynch in the past has had to resort to those kind of tactics to beat Charlotte, and even though Becky Lynch is now, because of the beatdown from Ronda Rousey and the knee injury combined, going into Sunday very much an underdog against a fierce opponent in the form of Charlotte Flair. It's also worth remembering that Becky Lynch has beaten Charlotte Flair fair and square as well. She did so at Hell in a Cell last year to win the SmackDown Live Women's Championship. She also did so in the last Women's Standing match at Evolution. So we know that Becky Lynch can get it done in the ring against Charlotte. The question here is what's going to prove more telling? Becky's physical handicap or the fact that she's going into this match with nothing to lose. She's been suspended. She's had a WrestleMania main event taken from her. She lost the championship in a triple threat match in which she didn't actually lose. This is a Becky Lynch with everything to gain and nothing to lose, and that's going to make her exceptionally dangerous against Charlotte Flair on Sunday. It could also mean that she's quite cautious. Don't forget that all Becky Lynch has to do is lose... And she's lost that opportunity at WrestleMania altogether. And you've got to think coming out fast and it's going to be much too late for her to get back in through further kind of political machinations of Stephanie McMahon or Triple H or whomever it may be. Especially with Triple H's attention now being diverted by Batista. Now, having said that, again, that can play both ways. It, Becky Lynch uh, could just say to hell with it. 
you know, and and kind of get hers, and and because ultimately she's, you know, she's, I mean, she's done that many run-ins at this point when she's not supposed to be there. There's nothing absolutely stopping her from just doing the same at WrestleMania, whether she's in the match or not. But at the same time, it could mean that she's overly cautious. It could mean that she isn't quite as aggressive as she should be. It could mean that she isn't perhaps going to take the chances that she might otherwise take. Chances that you might need to take to be able to beat a competitor of the caliber presented by Charlotte Flair. Again, on the flip side of that, maybe she takes too many chances, gets too aggressive, gets too hot-headed. Becky is a hothead uh, and maybe gets herself counted out, disqualified. She has a tendency to overreach sometimes, does Becky Lynch, and that could come to bite her. And if she loses by DQ and countout, she's still lost. She's still out of that WrestleMania main event. This Sunday's match against Charlotte Flair is doing Becky Lynch absolutely no favours whatsoever. And we should very much bear that in mind. She could lose by DQ countout if she gets too carried away. She could lose by pinfall or submission if she doesn't get carried enough away. She could lose to Charlotte Flair because she's lost in the past. Or she could lose to Charlotte Flair because of a knee injury or the recent beat down by Ronda Rousey. And Ronda Rousey here is an element that you can't look past either. You've got to think she's going to be in the arena. You've got to think she's going to be watching very, very carefully. Ronda Rousey has as much of a vested interest in the outcome of this match as anybody else. And what's fascinating is the beatdown that Ronda put on Becky this last week. Is that going to prove to be Ronda Rousey simply wetting her appetite for a match she still wants to see happen at WrestleMania? Or is that beatdown from Monday this last week going to have satiated her desire for revenge on Becky Lynch enough for her to now say, actually, you know, I've beaten Ronda, I've beaten Becky, sorry, I've proven my point. It doesn't matter whether she's in the main event now or not. I've beaten Becky, now I get to beat Charlotte or Becky both. Or I'm just content to beat Charlotte because I've already beaten Becky up. You know, it's interesting. It's worth remembering... Ronda's mindset at this point that has been so heavily impacted by fan reaction is suddenly unreadable. You know, we don't know what she's thinking because we haven't seen this side to Ronda before. And we don't know what she's thinking because we haven't seen her in this position where she's been able to get that very tangible kind of revenge on the so-called man in Becky Lynch either. There is a lot at play in this women's match and there is a lot at stake. And as a result, I really wouldn't be that shocked, even though there's no championship on the line here, to see this match close out fast lane. Should it or not? Who knows? I mean, that's, you know, for each fan to decide for themselves. And ultimately, I think, a conversation that's ultimately not important. The important thing here is to understand this match on Sunday is a big fight. It's going to have a big fight feel, and it's going to have very serious repercussions for WrestleMania. It's also worth remembering as well that we still have the better part of a month to go before we get to WrestleMania, and that means that there's still plenty of episodes of Monday Night Raw and SmackDown Live both for things for this situation to grow even more complex than it already is. There's a lot at play, there's a lot at stake, it's very difficult to call, and if you want my prediction, tune into the right side of the pond this Friday, where I'll be on hand with Maverick to provide my predictions for Fastlane. All I will say for now is that If ever there's been a match that's been impossible to read, this is that match. Beyond anything else, watch out for Charlotte Flair to want to use this opportunity to remind the world she is as much a part of this feud, as much a part of this title chase, as anybody else is. And if that galls you, if that upsets you, if that pisses you off, that's only going to feed Charlotte more. I am actually, perhaps controversially, in Charlotte's corner. I want to see Charlotte uh, remind the world why she's the queen and remind the world that it is the divine right of queens to rule over 
the man. But we'll see what happens this Sunday. Charlotte Flair versus Becky Lynch. If Becky Lynch wins, she gets reinserted into the Raw Women's Championship match at WrestleMania to make it a triple threat match between her, Charlotte Flair, and Ronda Rousey. Lots at stake, lots on the line, and I look forward to seeing that. Okay, before I move on to discuss the WWE Championship match and, of course, the reunion of the Shield, I'm going to take us to a little bit of an ad break here. But do stay tuned, and I'll be back in just a sec. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gents. Thanks for sticking with me. We are, of course, providing the alternative pre-show to Fastlane this Sunday. I hope you've enjoyed the show so far. Shared my thoughts with the film on the film Fighting with My Family a little bit earlier on. And about to move on to, I think, probably the WWE Championship match next. But before I get there, just a, a quick word here. As I said at the top of the show, plenty of great content for Lords of Pain Radio for you to get your hands on. So make sure you check out all the great shows. Also, make sure you check out all the great columns that go out weekly on lordsofpain.net, including my February retrospective in which I talked about the biggest news items, the best wrestlers, and the best matches of the last month in WWE. That's still available to read. You can also read great columns from the likes of Sam, Rich, Latter, Maverick, and more. Across the course of the week, the Implications just recently posted another installment of his New Japan Adventure, so check that out as well. And head over to the Lords of Pain forums. You could sign up to the Columns Forum. I get great comments every single week, many of them near column length in their own right, many of them very well written, so make sure you try your hand at writing a column yourself, or just hang around about the forum. We've got great threads on everything from wrestling, WWE, ROH, AEW, indie wrestling, to films, music, general general kind of news events, news items, you know, general live threads, games, gaming threads. We've got creative writing threads. You name it, there's a thread for it at LOP Forums. So sign up and become a part of the best wrestling community. And if you are interested in writing about wrestling, know that there is no more creatively fulfilling an environment to write about wrestling in than LOP, where you get to be completely your own writer and do completely your own thing and be your very own editor. So do sign up, don't hesitate and become part of a great community. Just do me a favour, if you do sign up and you have any trouble, just drop me a drop me a tweet and I'll plug the, the my Twitter handle at the end of the show as well as all the other ways you may be able to get into contact with me. Of course, currently happening in Lords of Pain's forums is the most recent columns forum competition. Currently, the semi-finals are being judged. Myself, I am still in the semi-finals. It's called King of the Columnists 7 and we regularly run these kinds of tournaments once, twice, maybe even three times a year. So they're a lot of fun as well and you can take part just by signing up to the forum. Okay. Oh, and also, while I'm at it, seeing as it's now Plug City, make sure that you do go and vote in the 2019 Lords of Pain Hall of Fame ballot. There is a post sticker to the top of lordsofpain.net. That will link you through to the official Google form, which will give you the directions as to who and what to vote for. Uh, well, not who to vote for, that's completely up to you, but how many people to vote for in, in certain categories, how many matches to vote for. Uh, we've had well, we've had votes in the hundreds so far, so make sure you get your voice heard. That's going to be available until f- uh, this Friday. The vote closes on Thursday. As for a specific time, it's kind of difficult to tell because obviously I, I'm running the thing and I'm on British time, not American time, so it'll probably be Friday morning our time that it finally gets taken down. But whatever, point being, you've still got time to go vote, so if you haven't done already, please do go and do that and make sure you keep your eyes peeled because throughout the course of WrestleMania week, at the beginning of April, we will be uh, posting the special induction columns to reveal who you voted for for this year's 2019 Hall of Fame class 
four loads of pain. And by the way, if you're interested in knowing the people on the matches on listed on the ballot paper, they came from your nominations. We counted up again nominations in the hundreds. Those with the most votes in each category got put onto the official ballot paper that you can now go vote for. So do please go and do that today. As I say, post stick it at the top of loadsofpain.net. Okay. Plug City is over. Let's get back to the alternative pre-show for Fastlane. I did, before the advert break, my thoughts on the match between Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch, which, of course, if Becky wins, she gets into the Raw Moons Championship match at WrestleMania. However, we also have a big return coming this Sunday, and I'm not talking about the Shield. I'm talking about Kevin Owens, who recently made his presence felt by returning on SmackDown Live as Vince McMahon struck again. Stephanie went to allow Kofi Kingston to sign the contract to challenge Daniel Bryan for the WWE title at Fastlane, only for Vince McMahon to appear and say, actually, what he wants is the biggest blockbuster match that he can find. And that, to him, was Kevin Owens, not Kofi Kingston. Owens comes down, signs the contract, beats Bryan in a tag team match with a stunner, no less. Setting up a very interesting scenario this coming Sunday. Now, what's interesting about this is that Daniel Bryan and Kevin Owens will have feuded only for two weeks. And as a result, Daniel Bryan perhaps isn't going to have the same kind of furious, moralistic purpose that he might otherwise had if he'd have been given weeks and weeks to really rile himself up about the kind of person Kevin Owens is. Without wanting to sound uh, mean-spirited, I think it's fair to say Kevin Owens doesn't exactly represent the picture of good health in terms of his body shape though he's considerably fitter than any wrestling fan I've ever met. I know that much. Um, And at least that's the view that Daniel Bryan is going to take, I think. Uh, Kevin Owens has recently been been filming videos on his phone with his family, presenting himself as just a, a Joe Bloggs, just a general, everyday family guy. And we've known this from the beginning. Kevin Owens has never been shy about being a family man. In fact, his initial beatdown of Sami Zayn upon his arrival in NXT all the way back in 2000 and... Was it 14, 15? he very much said was because he was there to provide for his family. And Kevin Owens has always approached providing for his family in the same way. And that is, I've always referred to him not as a prize fighter, but as a bounty hunter. In order to provide for his family, Kevin Owens has had to do things that most people wouldn't be proud of doing. And the reason he does these things is to position himself as the biggest star in WWE. So when he wrestles Dolph Ziggler, he tries to be more of a show-off than Dolph Ziggler is, because that way Dolph Ziggler becomes an irrelevancy, and whenever people think of a show-off, they'll think not of him, but of Kevin Owens. When he wrestled Seth Rollins, he would try and be as 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 athletic, say that five times fast, as Seth Rollins, if not more so, because that way when people talked about the greatest athlete in WWE, they wouldn't talk about Seth Rollins, they would talk about Kevin Owens. When he wrestled Dean Ambrose, he would try to present himself as having a higher pain threshold or being a bit more of a lunatic than Dean was, so that when people talked about the toughest guy in WWE or the most insane guy in WWE, they would talk about Kevin Owens and not Dean Ambrose. Kevin Owens is about undermining and disproving the brands, the personal brands of the other competitors in WWE so that he can position himself as the best at everything in the company, thereby being the biggest star, thereby earning the most money, thereby being to be able to provide for his family in the best way. That is who Kevin Owens is. He is a good man doing bad things in a bad world. That is the way I've always seen him. Now what's interesting is the shift that we seemingly have witnessed in his disposition since his return last week, which seems to be that he is refocused 
that maybe he isn't quite so willing to do the bad things that he did in the past, that maybe he's accepted he went a little bit too far, and that though his core purpose of providing for his family remains unchanged, maybe he's not quite going to be so obsessive with presenting this kind of brand-orientated bounty hunter version of himself that does these horrible things. The irony of that is that if ever that was needed, it was going to be against this moralizing Daniel Bryan, this green crusading Daniel Bryan, who isn't afraid to get vicious himself in order to retain the title, in order to give himself the platform he needs to spread his message. What you have are two people who are very much motivated from a similar place. Kevin Owens wants the platform of being WWE champion to provide for his family. Daniel Bryan wants the platform of being WWE champion to provide for his planet, to spread his message. So you have two very passionately fueled performers, two very capable performers going toe-to-toe for not just being able to call themselves WWE champion, but because they understand exactly what being WWE champion brings with it. And what's interesting is in considering that Kevin Owens is going to feel like it's an absolute necessity for him to get that belt as much as it is for Daniel Bryan. You know, Daniel Bryan has, 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 through his actions, if nothing else, made it abundantly clear that being WWE champion is necessary for his for his self-anointed mission. Uh, and so he's going to do everything in his power and, and to, to retain that title on Sunday. And he's a very dangerous competitor. You know, I'm not sure Kevin Owens can hang with Daniel Bryan from a technical standpoint in the way that AJ Styles was able to. Not to say that Kevin Owens isn't a talented technical wrestler in his own right. Indeed, I'm sure he's got more than enough tricks up his... Well, he doesn't have sleeves, but if he did have sleeves, he'd have plenty of tricks up them. But I think Kevin Owens is going to have to rely on something a little bit different. And what's interesting is the fact that he debuted the stunner and won the match against Daniel Bryan this last week on SmackDown Live. Well, not this last week on SmackDown Live, I guess two weeks ago on SmackDown Live by the time this show goes out. Rather than the pop-up powerbomb, which he used, but didn't get the pinfall with. He got the pinfall with the stunner, which very much reminds me of what happened with Seth Rollins. When Seth Rollins reclaimed the curb stomp at the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, it led to him rediscovering something within himself, a competitive fire within himself that propelled him to new heights as a singles competitor. What happened, or what seemed to happen, was that Seth Rollins reclaimed that curb stomp, and then everything else in his incredible 2018 followed. It was like he discovered a fresh mojo. I wonder whether a similar future now awaits Kevin Owens. Could the fact that he won the match on this, well, two weeks ago on SmackDown with the stunner, signal that the stunner is now going to be his go-to move to pick up victories? And if it is able to do that, whether or not he's able to ride a, a resultant wave of momentum in a way Seth Rollins seemed to be able to do, with the only difference being that it carries him to a WWE title rather than to an Intercontinental or US title. Let's also not forget here that Kofi Kingston has been slighted. This was his opportunity and it got taken from him. And one wonders whether or not the New Day, or Kofi in particular, may choose to make his presence felt as a result, whether that's through interference, which doesn't feel like something he would do, or simply maybe even being around ringside or something like that. It feels like Kofi is going to have 
a vested interest in the result of this match. He isn't guaranteed a shot at WrestleMania, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see who comes out of this as the WWE champion, because, of course, we know there's no more automatic rematches in WWE, uh, and so it's all to play for for the entire SmackDown Live roster after Fastlane in terms of who gets to challenge for the championship uh, at WrestleMania, which, if anything only piles more pressure on the two competitors this coming Sunday because outside of going in as WWE Champion, there's absolutely no guarantee, other than being WWE Champion, that you're going to be in the main event of WrestleMania for SmackDown Live this year. So there's a lot riding on this. It's very unpredictable because of the the situation we're in where they're both motivated from similar places. They're both possessed of similar passion in their motivation. It's been a rivalry that's only lasted a couple of weeks. And they both have very different ring games. So I'm very interested to see how this match plays out. I'm very interested to see who's going to pick up the win here and who heads towards WrestleMania as WWE Champion. Of course, beyond anything else, as I said earlier, you know, it's still better part of a month before WrestleMania. So even if you win here on Sunday, for Kevin Owens and Daniel Bryan, there's still no guarantee. And what we've seen at Elimination Chamber is that that main event level singles competition on the blue brand right now is fierce. Absolutely fierce. And so I'm very excited for this. I think it's going to be very competitive. And again, as to who wins, I think I know who I would give the edge to. But if you want my prediction, make sure you check out the right side of the pond this coming Friday night. Okay, that brings us to the big one. The Shield versus X-Pac Heat. Who, of course, by that, I mean Bobby Lashley, Baron Corbin, and Drew McIntyre. I probably shouldn't call them that. This is meant to be an in-universe preview. But it's just so difficult to pretend to get excited about Baron Corbin, Bobby Lashley, and Drew McIntyre. Good Lord. But it is worth getting excited about the reunion of The Shield. And what I've really liked about this one, people may say that The Shield have broken apart and reunited and broken apart and reunited, and that maybe fans are starting to get a little bit tired of this fractious relationship that these brothers have. But it's that very intensity... That, that permeates their relationship with one another, that makes them all such threats as singles competitors and more of a threat as a team. And what's interesting is Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins are both aware that Dean Ambrose is going to be leaving WWE uh, after WrestleMania, and so this is very consciously by them, by the Hounds themselves, been said to be one last ride before Dean, we believe, is going to leave. That made what happened this last week very touching to me. Dean Ambrose, lest we forget, when he stabbed Seth Rollins in the back the night of of Roman Reigns' leukemia announcement, in the weeks that followed, we found out that it's because Dean believed the Shield had made him weak, that he was better off on his own, that Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns had brought him down, that he was the one who would succeed the most when on his own, that he should be a, a lone hound, that he didn't need them, they needed him. And then you think about what's happened since that time. Yes, Dean Ambrose won the Intercontinental Championship off of Seth Rollins at TLC, just like he said he would. But since the turn of the new year, Dean Ambrose has lost the Intercontinental Championship. He's lost to the newbie EC3. He failed in the Royal Rumble. He's lost to Elias. He's lost to Drew McIntyre a number of times. What's What Dean Ambrose has found is the unwelcome reality that everything that motivated his betrayal, his fratricidal act against Seth Rollins back in, when was it, November, December? That all of that, in actuality, never came to fruition, never bore fruit, never proved itself to be the truth. And so Dean Ambrose had to confront the very fact 
that what motivated his betrayal was a falsehood and that the betrayal as a result was for nothing bringing him down to the same morally questionable level as the people he has criticised for being morally questionable in the past, specifically Seth. That's going to have been a tough tough pill for, for a moralizer like Dean Ambrose to swallow, and I dare say that's why we've seen him try to weasel his way back into the good books of Seth Rollins in recent weeks without directly addressing the issue at hand. Because it's going to smart him to apologise. And in fact what we saw when Roman and Seth were pleading with him in the ring this last week on Raw to to reunite for, for Roman's wish before Dean Ambrose seemingly leaves the company. For them to reunite. Dean kept saying, why are you putting this on me? Why are you putting this on me? The conflict is still inside of Dean. And we can't forget that. Seth has done this for Roman. Let's make that clear. Seth is, has been very open and has been very honest with Dean Ambrose this last week on Monday Night Raw about the nature of their relationship with one another, that the, the brothers fight, but ultimately always come back together. And I think that the reason Seth has been able to get to that point so quickly is because he knows what it's like to have to live every single day with the demon of having betrayed your brothers, because he did it. He did it. And so if there's, you know, the irony in all of this is if there's anyone on this planet who understands exactly the mental torture that Dean Ambrose may have been going through this last week, certainly since Roman returned, it's going to have been Seth. You know, and we saw that the very night Dean betrayed Seth, Seth was telling him it was okay. So actually this, this little reunion, this forgiveness, it's not really a reunion because the shield never really split this time. What happened was Dean got a little bit confused. Dean got a little bit inside his own head. Dean went through a little bit of strife. Seth suffered for it. But you know what? Seth knows what it's like to live with that conflict every single day because he does it himself. And Seth's journey on the road to WrestleMania this year culminates the journey he's been on since since WrestleMania two years ago, since before that, since Triple H stabbed him in the back, since he stabbed his brothers in the back. That is rediscovering his best self learning to move beyond the demons of his past and learning what it is to be able to succeed on your own merits. Being a good guy, being the right person, doing the right thing and being able to rebuild any part of yourself that that you've lost. Seth is at the zeitgeist of a journey that he ex- he knows full well Dean Ambrose has in his future. If not, if not now, then in the distant future. But Dean Ambrose will go on that journey. And maybe Dean Ambrose's journey won't last years like Seth's has. Maybe it has just been a couple of weeks. Maybe that's all it's taken. But ultimately, what we need to remember here is that Dean Ambrose's reunion with his brothers, Seth putting that that little incident of theirs in December behind him so quickly, it's all still very fresh. It's all still very raw. No pun intended. Can Dean Ambrose therefore be trusted on Sunday? This is the big question heading into Fastlane. Because Roman has wanted, you know, he's wanted this this reunion. He's wanted to bring the band back together one last time, in his and Seth's words. Well, in that case, Dean has to make sure he, he plays the party line. And one wonders, one has to wonder whether Dean's mental state is actually in exactly the same place as it always was since he betrayed Seth the night Roman announced his leukemia. You know, has anything actually changed inside Dean's head at all? Or did he do what he did on Raw simply to save a little face? Simply because of the situation he was in two on one? Is he biding his time? Is he being an opportunist? Is he doing a Seth Rollins? 
or alternatively, will Dean pull the you know toe the party line, toe the Shields line in the match to overcome this trio of stars that have been a thorn in his side personally, that have overcome him through sheer force of numbers at times, and then once the job is done, betrays brothers all over again after the bell. What's become clear over this over this journey with Dean is that there's actually no penetrating what his sense of morality is. It isn't black and white. It isn't clean cut, and it certainly isn't on the same level as everybody else's. That much has been clear since day one when he stepped into the company. The Dean Ambrose views the world through a different lens to most other people, and that's why they call him lunatic. This means Seth has to be on guard, Roman has to be on guard. You know, Roman has just come back from a debilitating illness. Seth is on the most important journey of his entire career, about to face Brock Lesnar in the main event of WrestleMania. Neither one of those men can afford to let their guard down and allow someone as dangerous as Dean Ambrose to stab them in the back at a point at which they could be vulnerable. At at such an important crossroads for both of them as well. Because to do so would be the final nail of the coffin in the shield. And I hope the shield, as Sam wrote on LordsofPain.net recently, deserves a happy ending. Let's hope they get one this Sunday. Let's hope that Dean Ambrose's actions on Monday this last week on Raw actually were true to form. That he has decided to put the past behind him, to reunite with his brothers and to prove that the Shield still runs this yard. Because if not, I fear for Seth's chances at WrestleMania and I fear for Roman Reigns as well. Only time is going to tell. Is the Shield a ticking time bomb yet again? Or have they fully reunited to present a front to get rid of this trio of cretins, for lack of a better word, uh, in the form of McIntyre, Corbin and Lashley. And of course, we also don't know what role that Elias may play in this. We don't know if Braun Strowman is going to play a role in this, at least not as of recording. And and I guess that presents another interesting scenario as to how this could escalate even further. Nonetheless, as good as it is to see the Shield back riding yet again, one last time, uh, riding from time immemorial to the end of time, as I uh, you know, I tweeted earlier, riding and dying and riding again, that's what they do. That is who the Shield are. But Seth is smart enough, and Roman is smart enough, to make sure they keep one eye on Dean still. Because as great as it was to see the band back together on Raw this last week, there's just something I don't trust about Dean. This, Dean Ambrose is on his way out. He has no real vested interest in any of this other than to appease Roman Reigns as a wish. And what we saw was that Dean Ambrose apparently considered himself to be better now, have his losses over the course of 2019 thus far, decided to to convince him that he was wrong, or will they have just fueled an even bitter fire than we than, than than we are aware of? I only time is going to tell. Only Sunday is going to tell Fastlane the Shield versus McIntyre, Corbin and Lashley. There will be WrestleMania implications if for no other reason in that we don't want to see, or I don't want to see, certainly Seth be put on a back foot heading into the biggest match of his career. It's going to be very tense, but I'm still looking forward to it. And look, I thought I'd maybe go short this week. I haven't. We're 54 minutes in. I previewed the top three matches there of Fastlane. I hope you've enjoyed me sharing my thoughts. It's been a bit of a higgledy-piggledy show this week. I hope you've still enjoyed it all the same. As I say, it's a bit of a crazy week for me this week, but with the Hall of Fame going on, a bunch of stuff in, in the really real world as well going on. So nonetheless, I wanted to make sure I got the show out, wanted to make sure I pre- presented the, the traditional alternative pre-show for Fastlane. I am looking forward to the show. As of recording, I'm not sure whether there will be a Fastlane after I haven't spoken to Steve, but at the time, for the time being, I have no reason to believe there won't be. So do make sure you still tune into Lords of Pain Radio this coming Sunday to check out 
Aftershock. Also, I will be posting my usual Sunday column as well, so check that out on LordsOfPain.net. In the meantime, if you have any thoughts on anything I've discussed on the show, whether it's about fighting with my family, because if you have seen the film, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, or if you haven't seen the film, make sure you go out, check it, and then share your thoughts. Or if you have any thoughts on my preview of the three top matches at Fastlane this Sunday, or any thoughts on SEID in general, make sure you let them known because you, you make sure you make them known because I can only make this the best wrestling podcast on the internet with your help. And to do that, you can get in contact with me in a variety of ways. You could tweet me at LOP plan. You can drop me an email, samuel.plan101 at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook. Just look up Samuel plan. You can hit me up with a comment on lordspain.net on any of my columns or, or advertisements for SEID or anything of the sort. Or, of course, you can sign up to LOP forums, which I plugged earlier in the show, and make your presence felt there as well. No shortage of ways you could get in contact. So do make sure you share with me your opinions. I will be back next week, of course, with my typical fast lane performance art review. And from that point there, it will be straight down the road to WrestleMania. After the Fastlane performance art review next week, there will be two weeks of specials here on SEID. I will be conducting... Four real-time watch-alongs, two one week, two the next week. The first week, I will conduct a a real-time watch-along with the two Shawn Michaels Undertaker matches from WrestleMania's 25 and 26. The week after that, the two Triple H matches with the Undertaker at WrestleMania 27 and 28. Make sure you check those out as I explore what I like to call the Tetralogy. And, well, more will become clear when those shows hit. They'll be doubly long shows, two-hour specials more than likely. Or at least 90 minutes anyway, because obviously once you add on entrances and all that kind of bump, then usually these 30-minute matches go to a total of sort of 45-50 minute runtime. So probably extra long specials. Make sure you stick around, check those out. Come back next week for the performance art review. And of course, I'll be doing a WrestleMania alternative pre-show and all that great stuff. So plenty more to come from Sports Entertainment is Dead. Until I come to you again next week, make sure you stay safe and make sure you have a good one. As your interior designer, I'm saying do everything in black. Walls, sofa, carpet, goldfish, everything. Um, can we not have a bit of colour? Maybe one tiny highlight in Battleship Grey. It's your home, so you should be in charge. With Avancard's flexible home improvement loan, you are. You can choose any repayment period that works best for you up to 84 months. That's seven years. Find out more at avancard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. New applications only. Seven-year term applies to minimum loan value of €20,000. Avancard Dock Trading as Avancard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.